welcome to a special episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I have a special guest with me right now. His name is Jason Aten. He's the tech columnist at Inc.com. And we talked about his article comparing Apple to Facebook and the policies that it's currently doing with the App Store and all that. And so he was gracious enough to come on this as a special episode and be interviewed. So Jason, thanks for being here. Absolutely. I always enjoy an opportunity to talk about Apple, even when someone wants to tell me why I'm wrong. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where you hear yourself after you record something. It's like, man, I might have sounded more angry than I really was. I was not upset. <laughs> so, no, no your, your, your critique was fair. I know we'll get into it, but, but uh, yeah. it, it was enlightening for me, actually. Okay, well, awesome. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. I wanted to just hear a little bit about you. I mean, it sounds like you've been covering Apple for a long time. So what's your history with covering Apple and technology in general and where you got to Inc. today? Yeah, so it's actually interesting because a lot of my background was not in like journalism or covering. I have a marketing background, but I've always mm -hmm. sort of been an Apple, I guess it's fair to say, fan. This is the long answer to your question, but I, I didn't grow up in a house with a Mac. I still remember our first PC was this Packard Bell 725DX. Oh, yeah. It was back when it was running DOS, and I had a friend in the neighborhood that had a Macintosh. I don't it was probably 89, so it was probably like a Macintosh Plus or something like that. But uh, it was like mm. mind-blowing to me, right, that when you're at home and you're running MS-DOS and everything's like <laughs> Enable and Lotus 1, 2, 3, and that's like it. And I think we had oh, like yeah. King's Quest on it. Oh, yeah. And I have a neighbor who has this Macintosh. And I was extremely envious, but my parents were having nothing of it. Thankfully, they, they won't they won't listen to this, I'm sorry to say. But I didn't have a Mac at all. And in college, I didn't even have a computer when I went away to college. You had to go to the computer lab. But I remember my sophomore year, this guy down the hall got an iMac, right? It was my sophomore year. They had just come out. I didn't even know what an iMac was because when I was, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have any, like, I didn't know what these things were. Yeah. But it was, again, fascinating. And I spent a lot of time on his iMac. So when I had an opportunity to buy a computer for myself for the first time, it was a couple of years later, I bought a PowerBook G4, one of the titanium books, which was way more than somebody who was an intern should have spent on a computer, but I wanted to use <laughs> Final Cut Pro, right? right? So I bought this thing and it, and it was it was amazing. Uh, it must have been one of the original ones because I think the first one I had did not have a SuperDrive. Okay. But I ended up getting one with the SuperDrive a couple of years later. And since then, I've probably had at least, with the exception of the Mac Pro... Although I did have a G5, but that's not the point. <laughs> I've owned I've owned almost every version of a Mac since then, and it hasn't been until a couple of years ago when I started writing for Inc. that I actually started, I guess you could say, covering Apple and other tech companies. Gotcha. And being a tech columnist at a publication like Inc. is actually kind of interesting because it's not a consumer you know, tech column. It's more of a focus on businesses, right? Inc.'s audience right. are entrepreneurs. And so as the tech columnist there, I sort of cover everything right apple and facebook and google but then right. it also means like streaming video right it also means like mm. target because they compete with <laughs> amazon which is sort of a tech company you know what i mean so it's a very yeah, e interesting thing yeah. yeah so and and really i started writing there i i do have a i was an editor for a couple of years at a business publication so i do have a editorial background as well but it was really a way for me honestly to get to do something that it's like why you mean you're gonna let me write about stuff that i just care about 
anyway. <laughs> like this doesn't even feel yeah. like a job. So that was a long answer to what could have been a short question if I've been doing this for a couple of years at Inc. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. And you know, it's funny. I also grew up in a non-Mac household and I had an IBM. My I think the earliest PC I can remember was running Windows 3.1, but I did have King's Quest. And so I finally yeah. remember that game. And you know, I kind of grew up in the compact Presario era and uh, the original Starcraft. That was kind of my yeah. <laughs> game growing up. Yeah. But my first my first Mac uh, was also a G4 PowerBook, the aluminum one. So I think you okay. got me beat by a couple of years there. <laughs> you got into it yes. a little before me. But yeah, and I have I've had many of the Macs uh, since then, the white, the plastic ones and uh, and all those kinds. So well, so cool. Well, thanks for telling me that. You know, we started following you on Twitter. We had some interactions there, and then I saw you post this article. And you're and saying that Apple is becoming more like Facebook than Microsoft. And a little background of that is that with all the App Store policies and the antitrust hearing, this kind of idea that you know Apple's no longer the underdog and it's kind of throwing its weight around and using its policies to really just get money wherever it can. And now because it's so focused on services, it might be hurting developers maybe is hurting developers, you know, we can be critical of that. And I talked about it with Paul Kafasis on the show. But you were saying, you know, a lot of people are comparing Apple to her earlier era Microsoft, where they had a monopoly, things like Internet Explorer, and that was a closer comparison. And you're saying that actually you feel Apple, a better comparison would be to say it's becoming more like Facebook in its policies. So maybe real quick, can you kind of summarize just your general idea and thesis behind this article? Uh, and of course, there'll be a link in show notes if people want to read the whole thing. So yeah, go ahead and tell us. Yeah, okay. So the first thing I would say is that hearing the, I, so I did listen to the art, the episode, obviously. And the first thing that occurred to me was that Apple and Facebook both engender pretty intense feelings about those companies. And people who have <laughs> positive feelings towards Apple's brand tend to be pretty in tune with the way that brands treat their users and customers, which means they probably might not have positive feelings about Facebook. So if you're going to make that comparison, that it's dangerous, first of all, to make that comparison, but you also better be sure. prepared to back it up. Right. That's hard to do in 800 words. So the, the the second thing that kind of came to my mind was like, oh, yeah, like, I mean, I write 40 columns a month and the people who read them don't read them all. Like, that's sad to me, but it's also true. And so, right. you know, this is a case I've been making over the course of a lot of the stuff that I've written recently in this particular piece was in response to how people had been making the comparison, like you said, that Apple was becoming like the mid-90s Microsoft. And so it was more of a, well, it was two things. It was making a case, yes, I think, and I'll explain why I think that they've become like Facebook, but it was more about, well, it was also as much about refuting this idea that they're becoming like Microsoft. Because, I mean, well, iOS has like less than a 15% market share globally. Like, so the comparison mm -hmm. to Microsoft is kind of absurd. Like, right, like back in the mid 90s, yeah. if you went into any home like ours <laughs> or any business, everybody yeah. was using a PC running Windows. I mean, it was a clear monopoly, whatever. And Apple is not in that particular situation. And so I think that calling it, I mean, yes, does it have a monopoly over the stuff that it makes? Of course it does. Like, that's not, that makes sense. They make right. the iPhone. It's their product. <laughs> They're the only ones that make that. Yeah, they, you should yeah. have a monopoly over the things that come out of your factories. So I wanted people to be thinking about, at least in terms of the App Store, that I am a fan of Apple, so I do hold them to a higher standard. And I think that you can make the case that Apple believes wholeheartedly in what they're doing. And that's a good thing. And we should want the companies that we support to believe in what they're doing. But that sometimes the side effect of that is 
they don't see the impact that the things that they're doing might be having on people downstream. And in this case, I think you can make an argument that both developers and users might be paying a price for that, which I equate to the way that Facebook... I've long said that Facebook's biggest problem isn't the face, the fake news or the privacy stuff. It's the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is a true believer. Like he believes his stuff doesn't stink. Right. And you're like, right. Take a shower, dude. It stinks. Right. Everybody can see that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I want to get to that part, you know, how Facebook views itself in a second. Let's talk about the app store specifically. Cause, cause you clarified, you know, you were talking about it's policies in the app store and you were saying that negatively affects both developers and consumers. So let's deal with the former. You know, when it comes to developers, I think we can uh, agree, especially when it comes to smaller developers, that Apple does not seem to be playing fair across all developers. A prime example was the Amazon Prime Video thing, how they got 15% from the outset, where every other developer has to pay 30 on a subscription in the first year. And, you know, in general, maybe they need to consider lowering that percentage it takes from developers because an individual, but a developer, you know, like TapBots, you know, who makes uh, PaceBot and, and TweetBot and all that kind of stuff, you know, they don't have the bargaining power that Amazon or Google does. And so would would you agree? And I'm saying this because I, I'm I'm agreeing to this point that when it comes to the developer side, Apple's policies might be stifling their ability to be creative and by proxy hurts the customers. But but that specifically, uh, do we agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I wrote a piece a while ago about how Apple's standoff with developers is really stifling, you know, innovation because you're absolutely right. Like not everybody can get a deal like I guess Netflix doesn't really have a deal, but Apple just knows with certain types of apps that they are big enough platforms in their own that the iPhone is better. Right. Right. No one would buy an iPhone if you couldn't, like if suddenly you couldn't use Netflix, no one, I mean, it would significantly damage the platform right. and Apple cares about that, but Apple doesn't care if you and I just decided we were going to make an app to play like air hockey. Right. Yeah. Hey, good luck guys, but give us 30% every time somebody <laughs> buys a new arena skin or whatever it might be. Right. You know, a lot of people are making the argument that did Apple have to kick Epic Games and Fortnite out of the app store? And some are arguing, well, that's the policy they've written. So yes, they kind of quote have to, but there's the question before that where, well, they wrote the policy. You know, it's not like they're handed this policy by someone else and have to follow it. And sometimes it feels like, especially in that services and goods clause about, you know, what is a services and goods and what apps have to abide by it. Sometimes it seems like that's written with apps like Netflix in mind so they can kind of have a pass because they understand that. Is that one of your like criticisms of Apple that maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're creating these policies with these big guys in mind? I don't know if that's exactly the criticism because I think that there are two things that are true. The first is that the App Store, when it you know came out a decade ago, did not fathom, like no one could sit down and imagine the ways people would use that. And the, and the guidelines really have been pretty slow to adapt to the fact that people are doing completely different things than Apple might've thought about. And, um, you know, the other good example that a lot of people have brought up that I mentioned in the article is, Hey, right. right. Hey, is just a thing that exists. Like the, it's not an iPhone thing. It's a thing that exists, but it would be much better if you could use it on your iPhone. Apple never really foresaw that. Maybe they did. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't have any inside information, but it doesn't seem like their guidelines foresaw that that would be a major way people would use their iPhone. It's not an iPhone thing. It's just a thing that exists. That's better that you can use it on your iPhone. So I think as opposed to 
designing them in mind with the you know the larger players i think they just it's impossible to foresee every possible way and if you make start making exceptions what happens and this is what happened with epic is that people will take advantage of those exceptions and find weird ways to cram their thing through so that was the first thing the second thing i was just going to say you know quickly is that i do think the other piece of this is let's just be honest like games are different because games are where all the money is right right? i can't believe that epic hasn't been bought by like harrah's or or caesar's casinos because they make them look you know conservative by nature because they're just raking in all of like yeah, not to go too far down, but Epic is literally selling you Fortnite. You sells you fake money in exchange for real money, and you use right. the fake money to buy fake things, <laughs> right? So that it, it's so yeah. I don't have any empathy for that. And I and anybody who's saying like Apple's taking too much money, Apple's taking money from fake money. Like like it's yeah. you can't. There's no moral, moral argument to make that Apple's taking too big of a cut. That's a completely separate thing from Hay or from all of those other developers. So I, right. Hopefully that right. clarifies that distinction a little yeah. bit. To your article specifically, you know, you're saying is Apple, does it have a blind spot because it's pressing so hard on policies and profits that it's forgetting about the consumer or it's not prioritizing the consumer anymore? And, you know, you had examples of buying an ebook on an iPhone is not a great experience if you're trying to buy it on Kindle uh, because you're not allowed to do that digital product that way. So you have to go uh, in the Safari web browser or signing up for Netflix. And I would concede that those are inconveniences to the consumer for sure. But I would like to almost weigh the benefits and the things that Apple does positively still towards the consumers, even, you know, without anyone asking for it versus Facebook specifically, you know, because that's what the article, you know, you're comparing the two, use some examples and you can, and you said so like AirPods and all the other innovations like that. And, you know, I didn't even mention it in the last show, but things like the accessibility features that Apple really seems to be on the forefront of allowing, you know, people to do that things that the Apple watch detects on the health side and all that, even outside of the policy argument, you know, Apple still, it still feels like they're innovating hard on those things and bringing some incredible benefits, even amidst these minor inconveniences. And I don't really see that from Facebook. You know, I don't see Facebook bringing those kinds of benefits to anybody. Actually, the opposite, you know, even psychological studies saying that social media is really not good uh, for people who spend, you know, too much time on it. So how how do you hold that and also then say that Apple is looking more like Facebook? Okay, so that's, that's a good, all of that was a good point. The one thing I do want to say up front, because I rag on Facebook a lot, (laughs) I I agree with you. Like, I think it was Mark Benioff from Salesforce who said basically Facebook is the new cigarettes and they should be regulated like cigarettes. Mm. I I completely agree with all that. I will say though, Facebook is the most powerful tool for small businesses to reach their customers that has almost ever been invented. And, but the unfortunate side effect of that is there's a huge cost, right? So from, so it does do a couple of things good that, I mean, if you're a small business owner, it is a pretty powerful way to reach your customers. True. The question I guess you could ask is, is that is that trade-off worth it? And as a user, I would say the answer to that is no. So on on balance, you're right. The, the scales are pretty unequal for Facebook, whereas I do agree with you that the scales for Apple in general tip the other way. But my, my point is more narrowly focused on that segment where it says, if you think you're creating the best experience for users – but the experience you're actually creating, if there's that disconnect there, then then you should be self-aware enough to look at that. And I didn't even have time to talk about this, but like the whole issue with like the Xbox 
cloud. I, the X cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Microsoft's so good at naming things. I can't even remember what it's called, but, <laughs> but there's that and Stadia right. and I, I, those are different debates and we don't have to go too far. But the point is like the iPhone would be better if you could do that. Right. Like that's an amazing thing that would be better. And I don't know if it's about money or if it's about the app, but Apple is just fundamentally not capable of processing that type of a, a platform right now. And I think that that makes that experience worse but in their mind, they're like, no, this is the way we've set this thing up. And it's, you know, Tim Cook, when he was before Congress, he said, you know, we everything we do is based on security, privacy, and quality. Right. I totally agree. And 99.8% of those things, yes. But unfortunately, in this area, the quality aspect is making you, it makes it, you're preaching something and the experience that people are having is not living up to what you're preaching. So to me, I don't think Apple is wrong. I just think that not being wrong and being right are not always the same thing. I would also concede, you know, I don't think everything Apple does is altruistic. You know, recently it came out that some news links, if you click it in a web browser or on social media, it'll open directly in the news app. And it's like, okay, well, that's a completely self-serving thing that you're doing there. And and not great. You know, it doesn't feel great. You know, when you click a link, expect it to open in Safari and it opens in news or, you know, again, App Store policy. So I'm not trying to say that Apple is totally altruistic and has everyone's best interests at heart. I think especially as it's figuring out its services business, I don't know about you, but the amount of push notifications I seem to get nowadays from Apple TV Plus and the App Store telling me about new arcade games and an upcoming release, that doesn't feel great either. You know, and, and you want to talk about consumer experience, I feel like that is sacrificing consumer experience for the sake of trying to rev up more revenue because it wants me to pay for News Plus or, or pay for Apple Plus. So so those things don't feel great. I still feel like when you compare it to Facebook, it's so hard to bring in on a level playing field. <laughs> and one of the things that, that you had mentioned, in, and it's like you have an article, and I'll include it in the show notes, but you were talking about how at CES 2020 that uh, Facebook, it apparently believes is doing it. I'm going to quote from your article. Quote, Facebook apparently believes it's already doing that in a way that Egan says adds value to users in a privacy-protective way. And you had said that people actually laughed when, you know, the Facebook representative said that. I think everyone knows why. Like, it sounds tone-deaf. But you also compare that to, like, when Apple shows a video of someone who's life was changed because of the Apple Watch or someone with a disability is able to use their Mac because of the accessibility features, you know, people don't laugh at that. And I think it's because on a fundamental level, like we understand like Apple is, even though not wholly altruistic, does have many areas where it is putting forth effort to make people's lives better. And when you hear Facebook make a claim like that, people literally laugh. And maybe you could tell me about that experience too, but... Yeah, and so you're right. The point was nobody believes that. <laughs> Except right, for the right. person who said it, nobody believes that Facebook is adding value in a privacy-protective way. Like, it was absurd on its face, and yet she absolutely believed it. Right. And you hear that from Facebook a lot. And just to be clear, I don't think I ever made a comparison to those other types of videos. No, no. But I have made a comparison to Apple's uh, work-from-home video that they did recently, oh, that yeah. the ad, right? And the point, the point I made about that was... No one uses FaceTime for work and no one like nobody does like yeah. I, I get it. It's an ad, but but like that that does sort of highlight. Yes, ab- everything that ad is absolutely true. You can use FaceTime. You can do this, but nobody does like literally no yeah. one is using that for working from home. They're using Zoom or Skype. And no one uses pages collaboration. Yeah, tools. nobody. No. Right. I have pages on my computer and I literally only use it for lining up screenshots. <laughs> I'm <laughs> right, not joking. Right. And and. 
for for art for for articles and stuff because it's just simple. But anyway, that's not the point. But so those types of things, I think, and I would agree, they're not on the same scale. But but again, if you think about who my audience is. I think every entrepreneur could stop and think and go like, is the experience I'm promising delivering? Am I delivering on that experience? Because in some areas, it feels to me like Apple isn't. And by the way, at the end of that road, if you keep going down it, here's the example. It's Facebook. And I think everybody's like, oh, yeah, shoot. Like (laughs) nobody wants to be Facebook because nobody wants to be in a room at CES and preach like this is our core value. And people audibly laugh because it's absurd. (laughs) Now, have you you said, have you actually talked to people personally that work at Facebook and do you actually get that impression that they wholly believe what they're doing is good? Yeah. So most of the time, if I'm writing about them, I I always try to make sure I get the opportunity for them to give like their perspective on it. In this particular case, I I didn't because I wasn't, I wasn't, I was talking about Apple obviously. And every time I will reach out and say, so can you talk to me about like Facebook was telling iOS users that they really need to leave location sharing on for Facebook apps in the background because it will help them deliver the best experience for you. But what they really mean is so they can <laughs> serve you geofenced ads and you really want the ad for the restaurant as you walk down the street, right? So you just like, no, nobody wants that. It's creepy. Like everybody knows, <laughs> yes. but they genuinely believe that that's providing a good experience for the user. And it, he, the other part of it that's hard to argue with, though, is like two point some billion people use it every right. month. So apparently, that's why I think it's it's hard for them to see it any differently because it's like look at the numbers; people are using it. Nobody's quitting Facebook, right. like not in any. And if they are, it's like news. Hey, I quit Facebook. Like that's a big deal. So, so in a word, yes, like they they believe they're doing the world good. Yeah, they genuinely they are they are true believers. They are, and and it filters down. I think from from the CEO, from the founder, Mark Zuckerberg. And don't get me wrong, like being a true believer is a good thing in a founder. You want them to believe in what they're doing. But right. if it creates a blind spot, it's sort of like if the I have four kids, four young kids. And, and it, it's kind of like if the school calls home and says, hey, your son hit this other kid. You're like, my son would never hit another kid. My son is perfect. So that other kid <laughs> must have done something wrong or that you must be mistaken, Mr. Principal. My son, like that's kind of the, right. because we have that mentality of our children and that's good as a parent because you protect your children. But I think that there's a disconnect with Facebook that is easy for us to all see. And they, but they genuinely believe I, in my experience that what they're doing can be justified by the greater good. So the final, the line in your article, it says the problem is, the version they believe in usually doesn't actually exist. So saying like Facebook, the version of the company they believe in doesn't exist. It seems like Apple believes in a version of themselves that also doesn't exist. I guess my argument would be the version of Apple that's ideal and what's in reality is much closer than what Facebook is in reality to what they believe is ideal. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the perfect answer or evidence of that is Apple rolled back their planned privacy change in iOS 14 because of the effect that it would have on developers. They were self-conscious enough to say like, we need to give give these app developers time and publishers time to figure out an alternate source of income. Because if we ask users every time an app opens up, if the app can track them, everyone will say no. <laughs> and right. none of the things that we're used to. So I would agree with you that Apple is much in a much different position. And I'm really only talking about like the app store, I guess, to be fair. Right. So what in your mind should 
A, they have done in the Epic game situation, if they should have done anything differently, and B, what policies should change so that it's less like Facebook. Yeah, I think in the Epic game situation, I, I have no sympathy for Epic. I put that in the article. I mean, <laughs> yeah. even even on Friday, Epic is petitioning a judge to say, Apple's killing our business. Right. <laughs> they don't need right. to be killing our... They didn't have to do this, so please force them. And I, I can imagine the judge is like, there's a way for that to happen. It's very simple. Just re-upload a version that doesn't break all the rules. Like, right, right. it's not complicated. So... Uh, <laughs> Epic is by far the most public example of this, but I will say that in that particular situation, I'm I really like I, if I, I if I was Tim Cook, I'd be like, how do we shut them down, <laughs> right? Like, or can we buy them to make them go away? I don't even know. But in other instances, and and you have seen Apple make changes like the WordPress app where it's like, why would you be forcing them to put in-app purchases for a free app? Like, what are yeah. you going to take a cut of? Or Hey is a great example. But like in the Hey example, maybe just don't send them the email that says like you've been freeloading for the last ten years. Yeah, that doesn't so feel be great. thankful. Like that's my point. Those are the kind of things like you could. Um, I heard a podcast where I think it was John Syracuse was talking about like Apple needs some corporate relationship counseling, yeah. and I think that that's true. Like you should you should find the place where there's a win, not only for the platform and not only for the developers, but for the overall experience that that can that that can provide for people. And I think, and Apple's really good at that in other areas. Like they're really, they're really good at providing an experience. That's why people use, that's why I use a Mac and an iPad and an iPhone and all of these things. And it's why when my wife needs a new computer, I buy her a MacBook air and, and it just, everything, it just, it worked, right? Like that's yeah. the thing. It all just works. It's absurd that if I don't have a Netflix account and I log in, Netflix can't even tell me how to sign up. Like that is the least Apple thing that exists anywhere. It's absurd that I have to go to Spotify.com to sign up for an account. Right. You know, and and I'm not suggesting that Netflix and Spotify couldn't, yeah, they could offer it, right? But like Apple could find a way to make that easier. I don't it, it's not technological. We know that. It's just financial. Yeah. Right. And I think that like the easy answer for me is Spotify and Netflix don't exist because of the iPhone. Right. So right, Apple, right. find a way to make it work. If I want to build an app or if I want to build a service and I want to make it available on the app, let's have a conversation about how do we, how do we do that? And in a way that actually makes the experience better for the users. And so I guess that's a long way of saying I don't have a great answer for it. So specifically, do you think the 30% cut should change? Um, I, not for games. I think I wrote a long piece on my own site and I, proposed some like potential changes. And I think that for games, like, okay, fine, make it like 25%. But again, it's games, it's fake money. Like there's no marginal cost involved. <laughs> so nobody can complain about games, right? You call, Games cost a lot to develop the first time. And then you just sell them a, a million times and you just make money. And that's a very simplified. So any of your game developers who listen to your podcast, I apologize, but like (laughs) you're not making friends with the game. I know that's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get hate mail. It's almost going to be like every time I write about Tesla, I get a thousand. Oh yeah. That's that's anyway. But I think that for in-app purchases for like, or for subscription services, like sure. Like, Maybe they go to 20% and 10% or maybe all non-games apps that offer like in, in, in in-app purchases, you know, go to 20%. I think that there's nobody who can make an argument that 30% isn't fair. Like, because 
it's the same on every platform, right? Like nobody, right. Apple's not charging more than other platforms are charging. Apple doesn't do itself any service when it compares it to like physical no, no. software because. But they've also set the pace, you know, to say that every other app store is also 30%. It's like, well, yeah, they're also, they're not going to change if Apple stays at 30% and vice versa. So it's kind of like a, a positive feedback loop. Like it's not going to change. I mean, no one wants it. Like Google doesn't want it to change. Apple doesn't want it to change. But, you know, the, the question is, you know, is, a developer unable to be innovative because the cost is too high. Obviously, this doesn't affect the big guys, but individual developers. So, you know, I'm not sure, you know, Paul Kofasis has some thoughts on this, but there was also the thought of, well, just allow sideloading of apps. Let apps be installed on iOS and iPadOS like they are on the Mac, where you can get them in the App Store, but you can also get them from trusted developers or anybody. What are your thoughts on that, the sideloading? Yeah, Bad idea. I mean, that's the short, really? short version. I don't think that, well, first of all, it really doesn't work that well on Google, right? I mean, true. I mean, I have two uh, Android devices here just because I test out a lot of devices and I couldn't figure out, and I'm a pretty tech savvy person, couldn't figure out how to do it. And uh, I actually tried to download Fortnite onto one of them just <laughs> for the sake of all this. And yeah. even I gave up. So it, that's not a great experience. But my question would be I recommend to my you know, my my two daughters have iPhones. If there was sideloading avail- available, they wouldn't have iPhones, right? Because that opens the world to a whole different set of possibilities. And I'm not sure that I'm really willing to go there because you lose all of the benefit, like that Tim Cook talked about, security, privacy, and quality. Now, we have to set quality aside because there's a lot of junk on the yeah. App Store, but you know that none of it is going to steal your credit card information, right? I mean, it's just going to charge you a whole bunch right. of money and you're going to be poor, but they won't actually have your credit card information or they can't brick your phone so that you can't actually use it to make a, f- a phone call, right? So I, I think that if you open the door to sideloading, you would you would degrade the overall experience and the reason for having an iPhone. Not the reason, but yeah. a strong reason for having an iPhone. I think Apple's willingness to... I think Apple should be willing to change if, if for no other reason than... I, I don't think they'd lose any money if you had the option of signing up through Netflix or signing up through Apple pay in the Netflix app, enough people yeah. would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, that Apple would make up more money, even if you gave them the choice. Back to the security question though. I mean, the way you feel about sideloading apps, if it were possible on iPhone, do you feel that way with your Mac? I mean, do you install apps outside the app store there? Yeah, I guess that's true. But again, I could, inst- I, well, I couldn't actually figure it out on an Android. So I shouldn't say I could do it on an iPhone. I, not saying I wouldn't be willing to do it. I'm just saying most people would be opening themselves up to a lot of things that they lose that benefit of that security when they're doing it through the iOS, the app store. But I will say that on my Mac, there are probably less than 10% of the apps on here. Yeah. Or outside that I've downloaded that. Yeah. And and those are only like Ulysses. I downloaded it through like their site. Right. Actually, I, but I knew who they were. Like I wasn't, it wasn't like, right. oh, here's this thing. It came I, up number one in Google search. Yeah. And I guess my only pushback would be, you know, with, especially with Catalina, if you have tried to download an app outside the app store on Catalina, you get literally 1000 dialog boxes telling you every single thing that app is going to do and needs access to. Many times, the kind of apps that I deal with in like a live production scenario, they just are broken until you know how to go into system preferences, go to security and privacy, go to full disk access, and check a checkbox. So I don't, I feel like if it were possible, just like on the Mac, how they have taken many, many steps to make sure 
users know what an app is doing. I feel like they could do it on on iOS, and and I don't know. I don't think it would be as big of a security concern as as you're saying. You're probably right because the reality is no one would do it except for people who really understand what's happening. Because that too, most people don't. If you say sideloading to 90% of the people who don't listen to podcasts like this, they have no, no, no idea no, what you're right, talking about. Exactly. It's not even a thing that exists for them. And so you're, you're probably right that the people who would do that. But I do think you mentioned the console thing, like, and that's a whole other conversation, but the Mac and the iPhone are just, they're different. They're not the same thing. And, right. and, and I think part of that difference is the experience. A Mac is just a computer. I shouldn't say it's just a computer. It is a wonderful computer, but it yeah. is a, at its core a computer. Whereas a phone, an iPhone is is something different than that. I don't buy the whole like a hundred percent. It's a console. It's but Apple built it as one. Yeah. So it functions as one. So you can't later complain that my car can't fly. Well, you bought a car, right? You didn't <laughs> buy it. You didn't buy something different than a car. You, it's a car. It just does this thing. Not a great analogy, but my point is like to say now, like, should the iPhone be something different just because it's huge and popular and people do all kinds of things with it? I don't, I don't know that that's a convincing argument. Yeah. Either. And I've heard, I've heard, you know, some people say, well, the, the iPhone is so widespread, especially here in America, that it needs to be considered now like a commodity or, you know, it's so ubiquitous that it needs to fall into a different category. I don't know about you. I don't hold to that. I don't like that argument either. Yeah. I feel like that's that's not a great great argument. No, and I don't think any argument that starts with something was really 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 successful so now we should change the way it operates is a bad I think that's a bad like <laughs> right. it, you were fine with it when you know it was the only thing that was available and no and it was way too expensive for most people to buy but now that we can all afford them and we all have them we should treat it differently like to me that can't be the only catalyst for making that change because you're really belying the fact that you just feel like it has too much power but again the iPhone represents a very small fraction of smartphones worldwide. Right. Again, comparing it to Facebook, who literally has billion, one, what is it, 1.2, 1.3 billion users. I feel like it's it would be a better argument to say that Facebook as a platform is more ubiquitous and needs to be regulated more or changed than the iPhone platform. Let me say this. So I will I will concede that Apple, in a lot of its recent statements is still making it sound like they're the underdog. And that is not coming across well anymore. You know, you can't be in the news having a $2 trillion market cap being the most profitable company and still say, you know, still sound like the underdog. But do you still hold that you think Apple is on a trajectory to becoming like Facebook unless they do something or unless they start changing their policies? All right. So I will concede (laughs) that... Maybe the headline should have been Apple is not the new Microsoft. It's doing things in a similar fashion that Facebook sometimes does on occasion. <laughs> that's not but I don't think that is, I don't think that's a very good headline. <laughs> but that probably is a better reflection of the point that I'm trying to make, which is not that Apple in and of itself is going to turn into this. And clearly the reason Apple's not going to become Facebook is because Apple doesn't monetize everything you do everywhere. <laughs> right. So there's that point, but I do think that maybe so that gets, that would be my point that Apple has done some things lately that make me cringe and the example where I see that happening in its like ultimate version is in this company called Facebook and it's really just that do you really understand how you sound because those of us who really like you as a company are sitting here having to defend why you're 
why they can't play X, you know, X cloud or why they can't have stadia or why right. no one I know plays Fortnite anymore, but I'm old. So that I haven't had to defend that part of it, but I think yeah. that would be, that would have been a better headline, but I don't think my editor would have let me use it. No, no, it's very long. So basically what you're saying is if you say Facebook is Mordor <laughs> and the ideal of Apple is the Shire, you want to make sure it's starting to lean more back towards the Shire and less towards Mordor. Yes, and I don't, you know, you see the scene at the end when uh, Frodo is like yes. starting to change, right? Because he's, he hasn't gone over, but like he's had that ring for so long and he's yes. climbing up that mountain and there's Gollum and everything. I, I don't want Apple to turn into that. Yeah, that's that, that's a good analogy. I think that, I think you should change the headline to a Lord of the Rings analogy. I think it would fly much better. Because I could do that probably in 70 characters too. All right. Well, Jason, it's been a joy to, to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. If, if people want to read what you write and see your work, where can they do that? Um, obviously, you can check out the tech section of Inc. Or you can also, my website's uh, jasonayton.net. And you can also click through and, and get to my articles that way as well. Yeah. And I subscribe to your newsletter. You got some good emails going out too. Absolutely. Subscribe to the newsletter. That's actually, honestly, the best way probably if you just want to know occasionally what I'm writing about because I try to summarize something that was a big story and then link to a couple of the other pieces that people will hopefully want to read. Yes. Well, for our listeners, check out Jason's work. Follow him on Twitter also. He's got some great tweets out there. I, after the last episode of the Apple Insider podcast went up, I woke up to a, a trail of tweets. I just wanted to set the record straight before anybody woke up anywhere because I, I I listened to it very early that morning. So, Well, I appreciate you listening, first of all. And I was like, I, I said, I'm going to get up on Friday. I'm going to mention Jason and let's see if, you know, if we can dialogue about this at all. And I just woke up to a 12 thread, a 12 tweet thread. Well, and you know, the thing is, I, I, I usually don't listen to podcasts in the morning because it's usually when I write and I can't listen to people talking and write at the same time. But you know how yeah. like you talked about pop-up notifications? Well, the podcast app always tells me like, hey, Apple Insider has a new episode. And it's like, is Facebook the new Apple? And I'm like, there's no way somebody else. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I wrote that article. Somebody else just wrote an article about that. So I'm like, I had to listen to it. And it was, oh, it's my article. <laughs> okay, I guess. Okay, very good. Well, again, thanks for coming on the show. Check out all of Jason's stuff. There's links to his website, his Twitter, and Inc.com, the tech column in the show notes. Jason, thanks again for joining me. We we'll hope we could uh, talk again in the future. That'd be great. Thanks.